Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, is that useful to you? Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase the wind line no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me tonight is Mr. Stephen Bassett. He is the Executive Director of Paradigm Research Group, PRG, founded in 1996 to end the government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomena. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of formal disclosure by world governments of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media. In 2013, PRG produced a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington. In November of 2014, PRG launched two political initiatives in Washington, D.C. One sought the first hearings on Capitol Hill since 1968. Regarding the extraterrestrial presence issue, the others sought to force the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Once again, good morning and good evening. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you to those here in America and those who listen outside of America for listening to this wonderful program. Welcome back for another dose of the Michael Deacon program. Did you miss me? I certainly missed all of you out there. I couldn't stay away from doing this for too long. I have become addicted to this. And when you become addicted, you need to detox. But I'm back on the wagon, folks. Always a pleasure to be here. I hope every single one of you out there had a great holiday. So much has been going on. I've been sitting back and enjoying the chaos. People losing their minds over all sorts of things. Will Oprah be running for president? People losing it over fat-shaming Donald Trump. What can you do? What can you do? The world's a mess right now. New California is here. That reminds me of the video game Fallout. I'm still baffled by all of it. Sometimes I'm a little completely taken back about certain things that go down right here in my home state of California. Now enough about that. Let's get down to brass tacks and bring on... Mr. Stephen Bassett. Stephen, welcome to the program, and I'm glad you could be here and share some time with us. Yes, Mike. I'm happy to be on the program. Yes, I've been trying to get you on the show for a very long time, so I'm happy you're finally here. 
So how how are you, by the way? Did you enjoy your holiday? Uh, it wasn't a holiday, I assure you. But um, <laughs> yes, I've been in I've been in London since really eight by April. But I had a I, I went back to the U.S. for a little while. But I've been here about seven of the eight, last eight months. Um, working on a new website, which is going to launch uh, at the end of the month, and um, did some interviews and thought about what to do next, given the political chaos in America. And then, of course, when Tom DeLong made his move, finally, in October of last year, uh, and followed up as part of their plan with the breaking article in the New York Times on the Pentagon study, uh, things started heating up. So that my return, which is planned for February 1, is, is well-timed. Uh, I just when, – when the when the election went against Clinton – who was primed to disclose, um, it just kind of blew two years of my work out of the water. So I was very depressed about it. And ultimately I just left the country because I, you know, just couldn't deal with what was going down. Of course I'm watching it all from afar and I'm, I'm, I'm in the news all the time, but it's been an interesting year, but now things are changing radically. Um, so I'm excited about 2018. I've already booked myself into or been booked into nine conferences. Oh, yes, the Conscious Life Expo being one of the most uh, recent ones, which I might be attending myself. Yeah, that comes up uh, April 8th to 11th. I'll be, I mean, April, January 8th to 11th, I'll be there. And I'll also be at the uh, International UFO Converse Conference. That's uh, 14 to 18 uh, February in uh, Indian Wells outside Phoenix. And then I'm going to be at the Contact in the Desert and so forth. So that's all good. And so uh, and then we're waiting to see what Tom DeLong you know, does next. It's going to be great. Yeah, you you have a very busy year scheduled ahead of you. Uh, I intend it to be as busy as possible because this could be the year, uh, Michael, that this, uh, oh, I don't know what you want to call it, charade, game, um, overextended policy may finally come to an end. And we can uh, reassess our position on the planet and in the, in the, uh, in the universe in general. By the way, how long have you been living in London? Uh, I just been over here. I, I, I did a one month stretch and I came back for a full six month stretch, which is all you're allowed under a standard visa, a standard, uh, uh, well, you know, is it? So, uh, and I've been here about six times overall. So I, I'm, I'm familiar with London. I like it a lot. Yeah, you're, you're, you like it there then. I do. I do like it. Uh, I have a supporter here that allows me to stay and, and, uh, but, it would be very difficult for me to I, – it would be impossible for me to to be here on my own. But I have a supporter, so I take advantage of that. And uh, London has proven to be very – it resonates with me. Yeah, that's good then. Everyone needs a, a home away from home. No, I have several. Very nice. But, but by I the way – I don't have the home to be away from. But I, <laughs> yes. If I have one, I have several homes away from that. Yeah, but by the way, Stephen, I, I would like to backtrack just a little bit here with you. I, I kind of wanted to know what was the catalyst for your interest in UFOs. Uh, it's not – it's somewhat comp- – it's not complicated, but it's subtle. I This is to say that I made a decision to get involved in something meaningful late in life. I was 49. Oh, understood. And at the time, uh, th- this issue was very prominent in my mind. I'd, I'd always been interested, uh, and was clearly not resolved circa 1996. I'd been reading a number of books and so forth, but I'd never engaged it formally in any way. I just made the decision this was it. Um, and so I 
was able to convince uh, John Mack's organization in Cambridge, let me come out there and volunteer for a while. And from there, I went down to Washington and set up a paradigm research group and, and registered as a lobbyist to get going and uh, began essentially a, what I would call now a disclosure activist movement or a truth activist or, uh, engagement, uh, focusing increasingly on the, the central matter, which is the truth embargo imposed on the issue by the government and ending that embargo. So the ET presence could be announced uh, formally to everyone. And Steve, you've never you never had any encounters yourself with any strange lights in the sky, no, nothing like that, personally, correct? Yeah, I've seen nothing in the sky that was worthy of calling unusual. I've had a couple of things uh, that's all, but not, I mean, just nothing impressive, and oh. no no contact with ET. So oh, understood. Uh, it's a good thing. It 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 keeps me uh, balanced. Keeps you balanced, keeps yeah. Me, uh, I'm not really biased towards an emotional, a strong emotional connection to the issue. My my fundamental reason really for why I've stuck with this 21 years is I'm basically a political activist and basically a peace activist, anti-war. I like that. But there are plenty of peace activists and anti-war activists out there. There's almost there's few or none or very few uh, activists on the disclosure issue. And so I focus on that. I don't try to get involved in those other areas because, well, this this issue is Enough to keep you busy. Understood, and and you're you're right about that. Very right about. And that. as I got as I got further involved, I uh, the focusing on the ET issue then allowed me to focus on the government in a way that I hadn't really before, and I began to see more clearly just how dysfunctional it's become, uh, and that the outcomes could be quite bad. Not that this is unusual. If you look back at history, uh, history is basically the the story of the collapse of one. City, state, nation, state, empire, kingdom, after another. Right. Uh, we have a very long record, pretty good idea of why they fall and how they fell and so forth. Um, and but it's not enough. We, history re- repeats itself. Humans are humans, and the United States, which became the preeminent nation in the world, uh, is starting to come unraveled. And in, in the modern times, this is a faster process. It took a lot longer. Unless you were conquered, right? I mean, you'd have a great civilization and then some band of roving hordes would come cruising in and destroy everything and it would be over. But uh, but that's not really collapsing on your own, though sometimes it's accompanied by that. Collapsing on your own would take hundreds of years back then. We're able to compress that into about a half century now. And so in the last 64 years, 60 years, uh, well, I guess, what is it, 64 to, uh, yeah, it's about 50 years. Uh, the U.S. has been in what I consider steady decline, uh, where it counts. And now we're seeing the end stages of that, that disease, uh, or these multiple diseases, uh, which, uh, if not dealt with, will be fatal. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm talking like this because this is the end of days. I, I, show. I'm totally with you on that. I'm Just, trying to help out. <laughs> we're doing a great job. I, I personally feel the same way about you. I mean, the same way that you feel about um, the government here in America and the last mm, 20 years, let's just say, they've been pretty wild here. I think no one could deny that. Well, I guess it depends on what you call wild. I, um, we, we were trying to find a... Um, a geopolitical policy that would serve us and others, I think, well, after the Korean War, that sort of lull 
Um, but we knew that there was going to be some challenges ahead because naturally every war is simply the prelude to the next war. And World War II was a wonderful prelude. But nevertheless, there were some great opportunities there. And then out of just, just an extraordinary arrogance, delusion, foolishness, we plunged into Vietnam War based on, you know, starting with the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which took place just as I was leaving for college. Um, and it's been, we've been, we haven't looked back. I mean, it's just been a steady decline and slow unraveling of our institutions, our values, our moral position, you name it, everything. We still make money and we still make nuclear weapons and aircraft carriers. Fine. But you know, it's funny that the reason civilizations, nations, city states fall isn't necessarily because they don't have armies or that they don't have money. They fall for lots of reasons, but usually it's a breakdown in fundamental systems. Um, and we've been at it now since 64. Up until then, I think there was still time to um, find a path through the Cold War that would have – we'd have come out pretty well. Uh, and I think that Kennedy might have had a sense of that. I know he had a sense of that. Uh, and when he was assassinated, it just ended that option, just, just shut it down. And then we were thrown into the hands of really a Texas crook, uh, a Democrat, but a Texas Democrat is roughly a Republican. And, uh, certainly, well, his, you know, the rest is his now. And, but, and I've been talking about this all the way back to 2000. Uh, and pretty much what I said was going to happen is happening. Uh, and so I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but that's, that's America's problem. Right. I deal with the ET issue and the ET issue transcends all of that. Um, it will be long remembered after most of the shenanigans of the last 60 years are forgotten. So the question is whether the ET issue, if resolved, would have a significant impact on um, the geopolitical problems that we face that are now existential uh, in their uh, magnitude. It's not something that Rome, – Rome wasn't de- – Rome was just dealing with the fall of Rome. They weren't dealing with planetary issues. Correct. Um, they didn't. They didn't face nuclear threats capable of altering the weather and destroying uh, a good deal of life planet wide. They, 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 we're dealing with Rome. We're dealing with. We're now a global civilization, and so our problems are global, and our mistakes are global. Uh, and so th- this has never happened before. We just we just got there not that long ago. We don't know what to do about it, and for better for worse, mostly for worse, it's happening at a time when. The governing systems and the people that are in them are not good. Um, and I, when I say I'm not just talking about now, I'm talking about going, you know, pretty much going back uh, some years now, well back into the middle of the 20th century. Um, and we can't afford it any longer. And so we have this extraordinary truth, extraordinary reality that has been kept from us. That we're not alone in a, in a universe that probably has quite a few civilizations, some of which are already visiting us. And that fact is so profound that to deny it to the people so that they can consider it as they decide who they're going to elect, what, what visions they're going to embrace is, is no longer anything but a travesty. And it's got to end. It simply must end. So I'm focused on that and it can't happen soon enough. And this year, 2018, may be an excellent opportunity to finally get this done. And then we'll see uh, how nations and people think about the world post-disclosure. 
uh, and whether they're interested in in uh, cleaning up our act so that we can hang out with the neighbors. Uh, you know how it is. If you're if you're the neighbor with a, with the crappy lawn and a crappy car and you know barking dogs, the other neighbors don't want to talk to you. They won't let you come to their parties. So we're going to be in that mode frame of mind here if we can if we can end the truth embargo. Yes. That's a good segment for uh, this now. Our government here in America has kept quiet about the existence of UFOs. And recently, as you know, there was a mass media frenzy on that very topic. Many media outlets covered the footage submitted by uh, To The Stars Academy. And it caused quite a bit of an uproar from believers and skeptics alike. Well, let's get into that right now. Sure. Uh, well, it, it's... It's something I've been following and, and researching. I tend to write on it very soon uh, at length. But uh, it's a milestone event. It's very complicated. Uh, there are four groups of people that are surrounding this development. They're inter interlocking with this development. Uh, one group is, of course, the team that was put together uh, by Tom DeLong with the assistance of the Pentagon, the CIA. CIA, right. And the other is the uh, Bigelow and his people mm -hmm. out in uh, Vegas. The third group would be the the people inside the CIA and the Pentagon who green-lighted that team, allowed it to happen, um, who clearly are supporting transparency and trying to nudge things along uh, towards disclosure. They don't have the legal right to just do it. And there's lots of risk and political implications to uh, going uh, too far. But they've decided to take some risk, and they decided to, to do what they can without breaking laws. And, and Tom DeLong was the vehicle that they chose, a very interesting choice. Very interesting, the, very interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. And the fourth group is the Clintons, uh, the Clintons and their top advisors and so forth, who have been connected to the issue all the way back to 93. Yeah, I've never talked about it. I, I, re uh, I recall, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I recall yeah. Bill Clinton saying something like they wouldn't let him in on the secret UFO stuff. Yeah, he said something like that. Yeah. And he's been, in, he's talked about it a number of times. His wife now talked about it. This is all, this, this, this is the political initiative that PRG was working for. Oh, well, basically two years from November of 1940. 2014 to November 2016, but really there was a prelude to that. It was a good year and a half work. Um, and it generated, if, if we, the PRG was able to force a situation where the Clintons had to speak to the issue during a campaign. Uh, when Podesta spoke to the issue in 2002, 2003, and later in 2010, uh, there was no campaign, uh, at that time. Bill Clinton spoke in Hong Kong 2000, uh, Seven or four, I think it was seven, uh, maybe four, uh, no campaign. But this time, uh, he, his wife, John Podesta, even Barack Obama had to speak to the issue because they were under pressure from a lot of reporters. PRG was, was really working the media very hard and ultimately generated nearly 400 articles about the connection between Secretary Clinton, Bill Clinton, and E.T. issue. Right. E.T. connection. Mm -hmm. And this forced them to have to address the issue. Because they, they were stonewalling the reporters. They wouldn't answer their questions, but they had to say something or it was just going to get worse. Uh, and that was all happening 
uh, and underway as the simultaneous with that playing out in the media. Uh, the Pentagon was talking to Tom DeLong. Tom DeLong was talking to the Pentagon. He was able to get in to see certain people and they made a decision to set him up, uh, to be a information conduit for whatever they wanted to release. Um, as a millennial outreach, public relations program, a number of things. And they chose him because he was young. He was at some money so he could take care of matters and he could reach the younger people. And, and, uh, he had a lifelong interest in the issue. He was knowledgeable. Without right. question. Yes. And, and auto died. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. Um, you know, I've always been highly skeptical as why Tom DeLong is sort of the neo in all of this, but now I'm starting to understand slowly, but very interesting choice of someone they would choose to um, sort of do a little bit of PR about this very subject. It it makes me wonder why, but then I, I, I quickly remember that, yeah, Tom DeLong has always had an interest in UFOs, so I can't really... Can't really uh, bash him for that. When you have a public relations problem as big as the Pentagon has on the ET issue, which is huge, and that public relations problem is not with the intelligentsia, it's, it's with the people, the general people, public, who eventually are going to learn that they've been not only lied to, but propagandized and manipulated and uh, almost made jokes, uh, fools out of for I, I agree. 70 years. So you, you want to try to get ahead of the issue. You want to try to position yourself in the best possible light, particularly if you think disclosure could be happening soon. Um, you don't wait till after disclosure to suddenly come out and try to project yourself as being the good guys too late. So who you, the messenger is important. Who is the messenger that you're going to use? Well, if you use a likable, successful rock guy, not too old, not too young, but yet very young looking. I mean, he's, he's much younger looking than his age. That's true. Uh, and he's got, the, the passion and and the wherewithal to, to write, get books done and do uh, documentaries and what have you. As a messenger, not a bad choice in that regard. Yeah, when I think of it that way, it really isn't a bad choice. And here on the program, I, I have taken shots at Tom DeLong, but nothing personal. It was just directed towards the band Blink-182. I personally don't like their music, but hey, <laughs> I mean, it, I'm just being honest with you. But I mean, a lot of people do. A lot of people do. Nothing wrong with it. Well, it's okay. No, no. It's just that. It's just that. Um, it's like um, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, well, I know Harry Truman played the piano a little bit. People that got him some votes. And Nixon uh, played the piano. But um, yes, I remember. The issue is so vast and so huge, um, and so important that uh, it, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, because, you know, you know, lots of the younger people, they, they remember Tom DeLong as just the front guy, the front man for Blink-182, and they, they go back and uh, listen to uh, many silly songs that he um, has performed. Feel so, good music. Yeah, I mean, there there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, no. you know, I've always poked fun out of Blink-182, so for me personally to see him doing this, it's like, whoa, that that's, that is wild. Well, try to imagine if Beethoven was the one that was going to bring information oh out my. to ER for the Pentagon. <laughs> no, I, I think he's safe. He's, I, you know, I assure you that he has a higher trust rating amongst, uh, millennials and Gen Xers. Yeah. I'm sure he's politics. a, I'm sure he's a great guy. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. there's no reason to distrust him. So mm -hmm. 
they chose, they make, they make, you know, it's not, it's not a bad choice. But, you know, the people that are most, I think, concerned are the people in the field. Right? They've been sweating this out for decades. And so they're very picky. Yeah, exactly. The public is, is not, they don't care. A tough crowd. They don't know about our stuff. They don't know what we've done or what we've not done. Uh, they're seeing somebody that seems to be trustworthy and he's bringing out information. Um, and it seems to point towards an extraterrestrial reality. What's really important, I say what's really important is that, is the team that he's, that, that has been put together. Yeah, exactly. The, the band Blink waiting too, that's very, uh, very small in terms of the bigger picture here. Well, he's, plus he's left that band. That band is gone now. Yeah. They don't care weird. about the issue. Now this is, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> his music is still around. And so, uh, and he has a fan base, younger fan base. Uh, so, but what's really, but the, the, the serious impact is the team has been put together. And if you go to, to the stars academy, um, website, just put to the stars academy and Google comes right up. There's been no, no group like this ever put together. Uh, it's unprecedented. Uh, and it's filled with insiders, some of which just retired just to sign on. And then of course the announcement of the footage and uh, allowing the, the, uh, allowing, you know, feeding the story to the New York Times, I think, which I'm sure they did on the, the, uh, Elizondo group, uh, that was set up in 2007. All of this is orchestrated. This is planned. This is being done with a very careful plan to advance this issue at a certain pace, but it's a far faster pace than the government in general. Um, and these insiders just, there's no way that they're involved with this so they can hang out with a rock musician or that he can pay them all that well because these people had 30 year careers with DOD, CIA. I can assure you they can get work all day long, well yeah. paid, but they've chosen to get involved with this because they know it's true. Elizondo knows it's true. Mellon knows it's true. Justice knows it's true. They know it's an ET presence. There are tons of people inside the military intelligence complex that know there's an ET presence. Uh, does that mean they were given tours of Area 51, seeing bodies? Not necessarily. All they do is read Stan Friedman for crying out <laughs> Right. The, the research is just as available to them as it is to us. But more importantly, they just they, they tip each other off of the water coolers. And so they know, but they're not they're not going to violate their oaths. They're not going to break the laws to somehow – preempts what what is the White House's prerogative on this. Uh but nevertheless they're caught in this this truth embargo. They they have to service it. They have to lie in some cases. They have to be quiet. It's it's and 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 uh, they're seeing trust in government go down, though the trust in the military remains relatively high. Overall these are good people and they know this is not going to end well and they, they would like to see it end, but they're trapped. This truth embargo has really become a trap for for the Pentagon and the White House. The role of the activist movement is to help them get out of the trap, which is exactly what PRG is trying to do. And clearly Tom DeLong's group is is doing the same in their own way. Um, but it's not enough. It's going to take more than just that. But nevertheless, it's a lot. Uh, and so. Oh, it I is. Look, oh, it's a lot. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A lot. I, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw all this footage on major news media outlets. Like Fox News, it, they had that on there. I was really surprised, and I don't even watch Fox News. Well, they all they all had it. Um, that, of course, that was the second part. There were two things. I mean, they they gave their announcement of the To the Stars Academy on October 11th. I 
uh, I, I think it was a Facebook video, no audience, no press conference. Right. Now it's the, the, the team, now it's the, the, uh, public service corporation going to raise the money to explore multiple areas related to all this. Um, and then they waited two months, <coughs> November, December. And then the story, the stories came out in the Times. Now, one of the key parts of the stories that came out on the 16th of December was that Elizondo had got clearance from the Department of Defense to take with him when he retired three apparently pieces of gun camera footage. Now, over the years, well, hell, if you just watch History Channel, I mean, you see gun camera footage all the time. Right. They've released, you know, I mean, reams of it to make documentaries about the war and movies about the war. You see it all the time. So gun camera footage is not unusual. Gun camera footage about very clear high-level ET UAP encounters has never been released, <clears throat> period. Though there, there are some things that turned up back in the 50s, but it was, not, it was just nothing of importance. Uh, some contrails in the sky or something. I'm talking about the craft, the disc that they go up to try to intercept. They cannot catch up. That can never been released because if they did release it very quickly, it would, it would end the matter. It would resolve the matter. Uh, you got pilots seeing stuff, recording it on cameras or infrared or visual spectrum cameras. And then you start showing that footage, four, five, six, 10, 20, 30. It's over. They never, so they couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. You could FOI the government till you're blue in the face. You will never get or you couldn't get any of that until. Elizondo walks out the door with three apparently pieces of footage, which I assure you would not have happened unless the Pentagon, but there was a group inside the Pentagon had the power to clear it. And so they dropped that two months later, then it went global. And then they brought the pilot and there were two pilots, one of which I think is still remaining kind of in the background, but Fravor came forward. So he testified, he took the footage, he was in the plane. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is actually. So that's a major milestone, a major milestone that, that, uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't understand how big a milestone it is unless they've been studying the field for years and understood the history, which I do. So the people in the field that don't want to be skeptics on this or attack it, which is going to happen, uh, I think appreciate how important it was. But it gets better because when they announced the um, – I mean, again, show you how orchestrated this is. When the announcement on October 11th took place on their Facebook video – on, from the stage, the first person of the team to talk was Chris Mellon. Uh, now, he's not CIA, and I don't think he's DOD. I have to check here, but he gets up. Tom has done the introduction, but again, Tom is the front person. Right. Mm-hmm. He's he's not you know he's not an insider. He's not he's not a military. He's not intelligent. Um, but he does his thing, and then Mellon gets up. So he's the first person on the team to speak publicly to this matter. So what he says is going to be very significant. Now he could have, he could have said almost anything. Uh, he could have gone on about, uh, what they wanted to do and the importance of knowing the truth and blah, blah, blah. He did any of that. And that's not what he did. What Mellon did was right off the bat, he runs through a chronology of the Nimitz Aircraft Carrier Task Force event, Task Force event of 2004, off the coast of San Diego, between San Diego and the Mexican island of Coronado, where they've been, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, I think destroyers have been tracking an object for some time. The Nimitz shows up. They put some planes up 
including Fravor's plane, to go see what was going on. And he just runs through this chronology. And as you're listening to it, you realize what he's saying here is that this was an extraterrestrial vehicle. You know, UFO is a meaningless term. It's it's an acronym that's utterly meaningless anymore, and it was it was uh, put forward by the government uh, because it was the perfect an acronym to help keep the issue under wraps uh, and keep it just going around in circles. Um, so Mellon steps up and runs through this chronology. Now Mellon's background is science. He was the um, chair of the science committee at Carnegie Museum of Natural History. Uh, he was a deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence in Clinton and Bush. Um, he was on the sec, uh, he was a staff director of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. So he's kind of political science. Okay. And he just makes it quite clear that this was an extraterrestrial vehicle. Humans don't have or cannot build things that do these things. And I'm going, that is absolutely remarkable. Now the other people, some of the other people spoke, but they didn't, they didn't make statements quite this strong. Uh, so what happens two months later is that that event that he was talking about, he knew, of course, that Elizondo had the footage. And so now they release to the New York Times that actual footage of the event. And what does Favor do? And, and what do they do is they basically reaffirm this is, this is clearly a non-human craft. So what you have is people with backgrounds in defense intelligence, uh, committees on the Hill, CIA, and the DOD are essentially saying, yeah, there's extraterrestrials here. But notice that they haven't violated a non-security oath, as near as I can tell, or haven't done anything illegal. Um, they are citizens. They're not, they're not, not, and they are under non-disclosure agreements, some of them, without question. Those, those don't go away. But if you listen to what they're saying, I don't think they're violating any of those. Now, it could be they've been green-lighted anyway, but whatever. So they're, this, but this is, but this is a strategy, frankly, that could only really be done now in 2017-18. They couldn't have done this in 1996. No, sure yes. No way. So it's doable now, and they're doing it. And I'm actually so very happy that this is happening, by the way. I don't want anyone to think that I'm being negative. No, no, I understand. I understand. It is what it is. I, it, it isn't all that needs to happen. There's, there's, this issue still needs to be approached from multiple directions. Yeah, it's a huge step forward, but, however. No, yeah, it's a huge step forward. And then when you study it, you discover there's interlocking connections um, uh, across these groups. Now, for instance, the uh, Gary Nolan, who is was with the Stanford geneticist, immunology, and so forth, he was part of Stephen Greer's movie Sirius. Uh, he was doing the work on the uh, being that they were dealing with that they thought might have non-human components. So he's he's involved there, which is, in other words, he's kind of connected to the UFO community. And then Colm Kelleher, who was on the team, to the Stars Academy team, he was the key scientist at the, at the National Discovery of, uh, National Institute of Discovery Sciences, which was formed in 1995 by Bigelow, uh, Robert Bigelow, billionaire. Yes. Uh, you know, a, a real estate guy, as well as, of course, space engineer entrepreneur. So he was tied to him. All right. And then, uh, we learn in the Pentagon study, a release that Bigelow was the one that was, uh, given most of the money in order to support, uh, Elizondo's program. Um, the, uh, 
Strategic Aerospace Threat Investigations Program. Um, so Bigelow is then tied to uh, Elizondo and that program, all right? And Elizondo, of course, ends up on the team. But Bigelow was tied to some other group because Robert Bigelow was part of the Rockefeller Initiative, 93 to 96, where Rockefeller tried to get Clinton to release the UFO files. Uh, grant amnesty to witnesses and so forth, which would have, could have ended the truth embargo under Clinton. Of course, that didn't happen, and Clinton was stonewalled, but Bigelow was actually at the ranch in 1995. So that's what happened with Bill. Um, you know, the big question was what exactly prevented Bill from being the disclosure president, and why didn't he go for it? He was stonewalled. He was stonewalled, yes. They wouldn't give him anything. They would, he could not get anything. Uh, from the government. They lied to him. Uh, and then, of course, he was under, and he and his wife were under uh, attacks every month. Uh, they were coming at him from every possible direction. Yeah, I didn't know One that. After another, after another. Yeah, see, this is very interesting to me because I had no clue that this was happening way back then. Neither did I. I entered the field in 96, just as the Rockefeller Initiative was ending. I didn't know it existed. Of course, because they never talked about it. And right. they still never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Not, none of the people involved in the Rockefeller Initiative on, on, on the Clinton side has ever spoken publicly and mentioned the Rockefeller event. Uh, they were going to, but they, they, they intended to get to the White House first. So Bigelow is connected to that effort to approach the Clintons going all the way back to 93, 94, 95. Incredible. So you're, st- you're starting to see these cross connections. Of course, um, DeLong was a big supporter, early supporter of Stephen Greer. Uh, I think he provided money, contacts, and what have you in the mid-90s when Greer was approaching the government. So all what's happening now is a kind of coming together of various people and groups that have been dealing with the issues over the years and are starting to kind of hook up a little bit uh, as we approach what I think is the end game on the truth embargo. Right. Because what's happening now is going to be hard to put back in the bottle. Um, they're doing things that I could never do. Uh, I'm an activist. I'm an outsider. I don't have, you know, I don't have a career in the CIA. I can't get those people to come and be involved with me. There's no way. Right. But they wanted to do something and Tom could, was, was, was a vehicle that they, they were comfortable with. And so he was able to do things that and none of the other activists in this field could possibly do. And so he's put together something that simply can't be dismissed. You can always dismiss the citizen science activist types like myself and others, uh, just, you know, they're obsessed, they're nuts, uh, but they don't need money anyway, so they can't do anything, whatever. But what do you do with a 10-person team of scientists and CIA guys and Department of Intelligence? These people cannot be dismissed. And so there is a flag that's been planted here, and they have more footage, and they, they, they are serious. They also have $2.6 million, by the way, which is how much they've raised on their citizen I'm not citizen, but public service corporation already. They're about to close out that initial offering, and they'll probably do another one down the line at a higher price per share, um, which is all good because it gets people involved. People feel they have a piece of the action. Yeah. They have money to work with, uh, which is you know what anybody in this field has always wanted. We could never raise that kind of money. Uh, we just couldn't do it. Uh, but Tom had the, the formula, and he had the backing of these insiders. And so, yeah, people are going to say, man, I'm putting my money there. Um, so again, if you're, if you're inside, you need to be planning for what you're going to do as the, as the truth embargo finally comes to an end. 
If you are the head of state, you need to think about that. If you're another country, you need to think about that. Uh, barring, but it could be interrupted at any time. It's happened before. There's a number of potential wars that could break out. There's all kinds of stupid policies at play. So we could see some uh, disturbance in the force that would sidetrack this, certainly this year. And God knows the government is constantly looking for new ways to do colossally stupid things. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, there's no guarantee, which is why we need to press ahead and get it done. You know, get it done before, you know, once it's done, it cannot be undone. You can't undo the disclosure event. You can't go to the people a week later and say, ah, oh, no, it's not really not true. No, it's done. You're in the post-disclosure world forever. And so then we can start reassessing things and maybe – uh, we can dig our way out of this mess that we're in um, before the population is bigger than 9 billion. So that's kind of the game plan for 2018. And uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on about what's happening with uh, these various uh, developments in the media, Bigelow, DeLong, his people and so forth. And I am going to get more into it very soon. I've been holding off deliberately while all the skeptics and the others attack it and try to pick it apart like a, Christmas turkey. And they've been doing so very yeah, much. Yeah. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. People, you know, I, but that's understandable. Has there uh, always been this kind of infighting amongst yeah. the UFO community? Yeah, always. It's always been nasty. Sure. Yeah, because I mean, people get very if, nasty. If you, if you've got a lot of people and they're, they're only at one third rations and then you bring food in or they're going to fight over it. Um, the, the government's, the government's policy was to isolate, humiliate, ghettoize, and contain everyone that wanted to pursue this. Whether you were military or whether just a citizen, if you're a scientist, they, 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 and the truth embargo was a serious program and it was run well and, and, and very successful. And they ghettoized. And when you, when you, when you, you ghettoize people, you break them down. Uh, they're deprived, frustrated, right. angry. That's what you've got. That's the field. So I don't blame the field or the people in it for their internecine struggles. I, I don't blame them. I blame the government. The government is the is the reason for that. Um, period. Uh, and so uh, until we end the truth embargo, uh, we're not going to be able to move a- out of that ghetto and uh, be able to function in a more appropriate way, comfortable way, proper way. Uh, until then. We're all in the closet in a way. We're all bottled up at the government's whim. I acquiesce. And by the way, I had reached out to uh, David Sarita, who is a, an affiliate here on the program, and he had a, a question. He said, I would ask ask him, he's referring to you, if this is the way he, that means you, would have made disclosure happen. If not, how would he like to see it unfold? And that's from David well, yeah. Sarita. Well, disclosure for me is only one thing. I mean, it's a capital D. It's, it's the formal acknowledgement by heads of state. So uh, it, disclosure hasn't happened yet. It's the small d disclosure. There's lots of little small d yeah. disclosures going on. This was this a, is a, a soft disclosure. Well, I don't Florida. like that term. You don't like yeah, that? Yeah, I don't like it. No? No, no. Okay. That's like, that's like somebody's going to declare war on another country, and they're going to do a soft declaration. <laughs> yeah, I, I get your uh, point now, yes. So... Um, yeah, would I have predicted, you know, years ago that a relatively well-known autodidactic rock guy would be a key player in this? I mean, there are a number of rock stars that have been 
have talked about this, written songs about it over the years. Some of them are your contactees. But I never envisioned any of them being in a direct relationship with high-end people in the Pentagon. Seriously, yeah. And, and, and being conduits for information being put out and crazy. I mean, this is – but, well, yeah, well, why could I predict that? I mean, the world is incredibly complicated. Oh, yes. Uh, there's all kinds of entities and, and, and issues involved here. So it's going to happen the way it happens. I think you just have to be prepared to deal with what, what, what comes, comes your way. And, um, I see how I can work with this. I see how I can use it, uh, to do the things I want to do. Um, so again, I'm a big Tom, Tom DeLong fan. I, I don't listen to his music. I don't think I ever did. Doesn't matter. Um, uh, but I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if he, but what he's doing is necessary. He's you trying. Know, if you listen, he's trying. If you listen to his interview with George Knapp, uh, going back to March of 2016, it's very obvious that a key component of this is public relations for the Pentagon. There's no question. Public relations. Trying to show them in a good light, good people, not the enemy, uh, doing what they had to do and so forth and so forth. Um, they can't say that. I mean, you know, somebody in the Pentagon coming out and say that it is totally self-serving, but this kind of, you know, nice guy, musician who is well-read in the subject without question, who's does not have a military career. Does not, not you know, he's not in, not involved in any of these agencies. Speaking their their um, uh, of their good intentions is much more, I think, um, comportable for the you know to the general public. So this is you know, the people inside the Pentagon and the CIA are very smart. They're very smart people. They have great resources, particularly to information as well as advanced computer gaming, where they can game out uh, scenarios and what have you. They, so what they're doing is not something they just, they just threw together over dinner one night. Uh, this has been planned for some time. And so I expect it to do well. And, uh, they're, they're pacing it so that they can keep the media from going completely away. And so they got, they got, you know, decent amount of coverage. I'm blogging in all the articles. I've already got like over 200 articles about this linked on my website. Um, but they, they 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 got their attention in October. Then boom, they hit them hard with the, the New York Times story in December. I expect another major story coming out in about another month, and that brings the media back in. And about the fourth time the media gets drawn back into a story is when the publishers start to get a little intense. Right. Are we going to see more footage? Yes. Elizondo's got at least two more, and I I assume there are different different incidents. All all this time, I must say, Steve, all this time. I figured they spent so much money, millions, and all we got was one piece of footage. <laughs> that, that was my first initial thought, and then I realized, wait, that that can't be. That makes no who's sense. Spend, who's spending millions? Who's um, who, you said they're spending? Who's spending millions? I figured they had um, compiled this this money. What, what was it? A uh, hundred and ten million? Oh. Oh, you're talking about the, the money for the program that right. Elizondo was running? 22 million. Oh, 22 million. Oh, over five years. Ah, no, no, okay. understand. Yes. They, they have been filming ET craft from gun camera footage on intercept planes going back to the 50s. All right. They already got all that. They didn't have to pay to go out and get it. <laughs> right. The program, you know, the gov, the government has never stopped investigating UAPs has never stopped investigating extraterrestrials or extraterrestrial technology, ever. It's fully black. This program was not black, but it was 
it, I mean, it was foisted on them in a way. It was foisted. They didn't ask for it by uh, Harry Reid, the very powerful former uh, Senate Majority Leader from Vegas, right? who uh, was in contact with, of course, Bigelow, who probably supported his campaigns. And Bigelow was keeping him apprised of this issue, got him fired up. Of course, you know, it turns out Reid was a pilot. He'd heard about these things. And so Bigelow's getting him fired up. And Bigelow knows full well that the DET disclosure event would be huge impacting on his space engineering work and his dreams of habitats in space and what have you. And so Harry says, let's do a study. Harry gets two senators to earmark some money privately, quietly. Again, it wasn't a BRAC program. And the CIA, I mean, the Defense Department really, they, they, no, they couldn't say no. And so, but they, they already know. I mean, they're. they're Uh-oh. I think we might have uh, lost you there. All right. Who knows? Terrible. So where was I when things kind of, when you, when you lost me there? Um, you were talking about, uh, Harry Reid. Okay. And the. So mm-hmm. what happened was that Reid, motivated by Robert Bigelow, who's based in Vegas, and of course Reid's, uh, 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 out that way. So he, he, uh, he decides why we should be doing a study. Now, the Pentagon has been, never stopped studying ETs. They've been researching this whole thing to death nonstop since 1947, if not earlier. But it's black. It's all black programs. Reed may or may not know about those black programs. I doubt that he did. Might have suspected there was something going on. But he wants to get something going, and so they put something together in 2007, and Bigelow gets involved because he's outsider. Kind of keeps it outside the Pentagon, some of the research. Elizondo's running on the inside, but it's not really black. They tried to take it black, but they, 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 they wouldn't agree to it. Uh, and they're basically just keeping Harry Reid happy. Um, and that's, but that impression is not the impression people who don't know the subject got from the New York Times article. They got the impression that, wow, they stopped investigating in 1969 and then, wow, they started up again in 2007. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nevertheless, Harry Reid did us a favor because while the Pentagon didn't want to do that program, he got the money. He's a powerful guy, and so they did it to keep him happy, which then created this this very significant story that the New York Times could run uh, 11 years later, right, or or uh, six years after they – well, they shut down the money. But the Elizondo made it clear they, they he kept doing the program. He was doing something there, right? Um, sort of a shell, you know, bare bones situation. Um, and so the thing became kind of a door into the subject for the CIA. I mean, for the DOD to shove out the door and it became a big story. Can you imagine how big the story would be if a couple of deep insiders came to the New York Times and said, let me tell you about the real investigation work that they're spending a hundred million dollars to $500 million a year on, or maybe a billion or three or four or five billion. You imagine that story? Uh, all hell would break loose, but oh, that yes. would end the truth embargo. And that would be treason. And they're not prepared to do that. There's, they don't see a need to throw themselves under the truck, uh, to end the truth embargo, martyr themselves. So they're playing a chess game. And, uh, the, the move they just made was brilliant. And now I'm waiting for their next move. Meanwhile, I'm planning my own moves, which I'll start announcing early, early in February. Very nice. And by the way, speaking of the CIA, they recently released 
uh, many declassified documents online. I believe it was like something like 13 million pages of documents. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that story? You know, they released those two days before the inauguration. That's a very, a very interesting timing. It was, wasn't it? Uh, um, yes. I'm still trying to figure out that timing, but uh, one of the things your listeners need to be reminded of is that during the entire time that Tom DeLong is talking with, working with a 10 advisory person team from the Pentagon, putting together you know, the several books, including Secret Machines, approaching the Podesta to be involved in a documentary, which he was. They did an interview. During all of that time, Secretary Clinton was all over the news with her connection to the ET issue, which I want to take credit for. And they all, and she was also the, the leading candidate. There were very few people that didn't think she would, she could lose. She was ahead in all the polls. So this, there was a powerful connection between their decisions and the expectation that something was going to break around Secretary Clinton. It could have broken during the campaign wide open. If if a major, uh, news person, a Pulitzer Prize winner, like, uh, 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 William Broad or, or, uh, Maureen McDowd, Maureen Dowd, they'd interviewed her and they had really spilled the beans. Uh, or if, uh, uh, they were simply, uh, uh, she was asked about it in the, in the debates. Or if any of her opponents were asked in the debates, or they would have put the issue in front of a huge world audience who were watching all those debates. But there, there was never a question about it. The news organizations of the television and networks are the most compromised in all of American media. Uh, so she was, so, so it, it didn't, it didn't, but they, they thought it could break out at any time. And so all of these renewerings were happening under that perception. And then she loses and everything goes quiet. Yeah, I remember there being a photograph of Hillary Clinton with a UFO book in hand. Well, it wasn't a UFO book. It was a book on extraterrestrial life by Paul Davies. That's when she was walking with... Yeah, it, it, oh, okay. 1995, she's walking with Lawrence Rockefeller at the J.Y. Ranch in Wyoming because he was, you know, the Rockefeller Initiative. Right. Which they were, you know, trying to sort of service. I mean, I, I know that Clinton would have loved, Bill Clinton would have loved to have been the disclosure president. It would have been a legacy unparalleled. Oh, yes. But then, but then his wife decided, I can be the disclosure presidency if it doesn't happen under Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And when she realized it probably wasn't, off she goes. But then PRG shows up, causing all kinds of problems in Washington, and the press shows up at their door. And so, you know, history's, history's messy and complicated. Right. If, if Hillary had won the election, do you believe she would have been the disclosure president? We'd have had it already by now. You fully believe that? Absolutely. And she wouldn't have been stonewalled. It wouldn't matter because she had the press. She would have had the press on her side. Ah, okay. The issue was, the platform was there. The awareness was there. The media had been following it. They were ready to jump all over her once, once she was elected. Uh, 42 reporters. I was in, I was working with, directly with 42 reporters, but there had been hundreds of articles. And now she's the president-elect. They're going to get on her right away, but she only had to hold them off for 70 days. And now, right, she knew that in a situation totally different from what her husband faced in 93, that if she starts giving interviews and talking about that initiative, 
and talking about her husband being stonewalled and anything else that they've encountered, talking about John Podesta's interest, why he was talking about it all those years. And she starts giving those interviews. They would have had a firestorm media with no a, a firestorm of media on this in no time. Now the Pentagon is faced with an impossible situation. They clearly have a president that's ready to act. They got a media that's ready to ask them a thousand questions. Stonewalling the president would probably just no longer be an option. And so they'd have to cut a deal, give her what she needed, you know, bring her in up to speed on all or most of their ET related black, black ops. And, uh, she discloses. I think that was what was going to happen. That's what she expected to happen. And when Trump gets elected, he blows it all to smithereens. And so now as we move forward in this very it seems unusual to us, but in ancient history, it happened all the time. I mean, you've, you've got these kingdoms where kings come in and they rule for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years. The people have no power at all. They're basically all slaves in a way. And you have a good king. You have 10 or good 15 years. And then the king's son, who would be a little somewhat addled brain, uh, uh, with no intention of ever being a king, suddenly his brothers would would get killed in a horse accident or maybe get poisoned by well, one of the court people. And next thing you know, the 12-year-old adult son becomes the king. And all hell, things go to hell. And unlike today, uh, you could have a situation like that extend on for two decades. This happened all the time. We just aren't, we don't expect that now. And so you're going to have situations where things are going to get really, really strange. Politics is going to break down. Things are not going to work. But it's, it's fixable. The American people have the power to fix it. Whereas the, the citizens of empires and the citizens of, of, of kings or dictatorships don't. They didn't. And so whatever's going to go on, they were going to have to deal with it as, as long as it lasted. So we're going through a period like that now, but it won't, I don't think last too long. And so the Pentagon people, I think, are looking ahead and calculating the pace of this so that if it's going to lead to disclosure, they're hoping that will happen on the other side of all this chaotic politics when things are perhaps now much more stable, much more uh, less chaotic than they are now. Uh, and you might say, well, why not just not do anything and wait for things to settle down? And the reason for that is that, one, the Clintons are still around. They could start giving interviews tomorrow, okay? Another head of state like Putin could do it tomorrow. This issue was out. And so this idea that, well, we'll just not do anything and wait for things to settle down. Oh, no. no. Disclosure could hit him right in a kisser. They don't have the luxury anymore of simply playing the waiting game. They're having to maneuver regardless of the circumstances. Yet they're smart and they're going to try to maneuver in such a way is to maximize the outcome for themselves, certainly, as well as perhaps for the nation and the American people. Recently, you did an interview with uh, Russian TV. Mm-hmm. What's your take on uh, their media, both in terms of politics and disclosure? Well, that's a, that's a very complicated question. Look, um, it seems to me like they're very oppressed, the people there. No, they aren't. They're not at all? No, no, no. Right now, right now, so many people benefit from keeping the the United States and Russia or before that the Soviet Union at each other's throat. And they just love to do it. And these are some of the most venal, nastiest uh, people you will ever want to deal with. We call them various things, psychopaths, 
warmongers. But uh, the, the truth about Russia is not what we're seeing in the news. I'm not saying that there isn't a uh, foreign issues there. I'm not saying there isn't a, a competitive relationship. But right yeah. now, the propaganda hacks are just it, you know, uh, working 24 hours a day. Um, I was I was in Moscow for a week. It looked just like any other city. You couldn't tell the difference. And it wasn't for the acrylic writing. Cyrillic writing, you wouldn't know if you were in London or, or, or New York, uh, or not New York, but, you know, any, any major city, like, even like Washington. Um, except that the, 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 the Burger King was cheaper, a lot cheaper, about, a, about half, less than half the price. <laughs> so, um, nice. I gave an interview in Moscow to, on, in May, and it was a milestone interview, which I'm just now releasing. I've released four excerpts from this hour and a half interview. The major one, though, it will be released as a press release uh, right around Jan- uh, February 2. Uh, and, and this is the bulk, the, the centerpiece of this interview. And what's important about this interview is it was the first time ever on Russian media that anyone had talked about Vladimir Putin being the disclosure head of state, the pros and cons of that. Right. Uh, as well as other political issues about Russia and the United States. Um now, they have not shown that part of the interview. They've used some excerpts from the interview as part of one of their uh, fairly high production value programs about unusual topics. I think this one is called Shocking Hypothesis was the name of the show. Very high production value. It's very good. They do it five days a week, too. It's amazing. Oh, wow. Uh, their TV is as good as ours. Um, so this has never happened. And I also took meetings in Russia while I was in Moscow, six meetings with various groups. Uh, with many people in those groups that had worked for the Soviet and Russian government, military intelligence, on the ET issue, surprise, surprise, and are still working on it now that they're no longer in government. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, right. And I did that because I wanted to make sure Putin knew I was, I'd been there. Um, I knew that CIA knew I was there. So essentially, this, this, I raised, I raised the Putin card, um, or pr- rather, I, I raised the stakes. On the Putin card, um, and which I've been doing for, I don't know, 10 to 10 years or more. I constantly, I've done like, you know, 1200 interviews or more. I, I don't know how many. It's, it's so many. I can't remember. And I've talked about Putin as a very, very logical other head of state to end the truth embargo, just to make sure that both he, he was aware of that <laughs> if he wasn't already. And that the Pentagon was constantly being reminded, you guys are sitting on this now for 70 years. And all of your allies have gone along with you and done what you've asked. But do you think that someone like Vladimir Putin is going to just say, well, I, I don't want to upset the United States. I better not say anything about this. Do you think Vladimir Putin has, has a problem getting information from his military about evidence or history on this issue? That they, they would say, you know, Vladimir, you really don't have a need to know. <laughs> right. Do you really think that, Pentagon? And so what do you do if on a Friday evening Vladimir Putin gives a press conference in the Kremlin, shows some nice gun camera footage and confirms to the Russian people there's an extraterrestrial presence. What do you do then? I mean, besides hide in your office or retire or whatever, what are you going to do? Uh, and so this interview, it gets into this, is going to be released as a press release in about 10 days. And I'm hoping it'll create quite a stink because obviously right now, as you know, Russia and Putin are the new devil, and right. they're going to destroy our elections and destroy our country and so forth. Uh, by the way, the United States, I think, has interfered in, I think, something like 20 
elections around the world over the last 70 years? Yeah. Just mention that. Most likely, um, yes. Yeah. And so uh, I'm stirring the pot here, but it's a serious maneuver. I'm not fooling around. Um, so uh, we might see disclosure from, from outside the U.S. this year. Very and, and the other thing I'm trying to point out to them is that I call it the Rosie Ruiz effect. Rosie Ruiz, R-U-I-Z, is, is a legendary person. I think she's still alive. And she's infamous for jumping in out of the crowd into the Boston Marathon. This is a long time ago, 20-some years, maybe more, 25. Oh, in the last thousand yards and cruising on across the finish line and, and, and being awarded the, the trophy for the woman winning the Boston Marathon until some people got suspicious and they did some, they checked some of the film and figured out that no, she hadn't run the race, that she just dumped in the last thousand yards. So they took it away. And the sad thing, of course, is the woman that did win it is not remembered. Nobody, nobody knows who she is. Right. Rosie in history. And so the point I'm trying to make to the Pentagon, God bless, her, God bless them, is that as we, as disclosure continues to become more likely in the U.S., as, as the process unfolds, as we near the finish line, the temptation for a Putin or Xi Jinping and a few other heads of state, though less likely, to jump in at the last minute and win the race just grows and grows and grows. And so you're playing a very... Dangerous game, tricky game, if you want to play this out. You know, in other words, I've got my time schedule and I'm sure Vladimir wouldn't want to upset it. I don't think so. And so they're really, they're really in a corner here. They're, they're, they're kind of in a tough spot and I appreciate it, but it's a spot that they, they, they put themselves in. I mean, they spent the last 70 years making that bet. So the fact that they're having to lie in it right now, I don't think should shock anybody. So you see, they're getting pressure from a lot of different directions and my advice is. Right is to get it over with, but they got a problem because the political situation in the United States is so a mess that, you know, from their point of view, it's a very awkward time to try to make a maneuver of that magnitude. And getting this mess solved is not going to be easy. Um, and nobody saw it coming, really. So, you know, but that's history. It's messy. It is just constantly messy. If you study history, you, you learn about the countless times Going back, I don't know, going back 5,000 years if you want to, but of course, as you get closer to the president, you get more accurate accounts. The countless times where something really good could have happened, but it was derailed by some other event, and then things just went to hell for 5, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 100 years, maybe more. Some, you know, somebody gets careless, or actually it's not quite clear what happened. We think, they think it might have been Arabs or Muslims, but the Alexandria Library got burned down five, a half a million volumes. Right. Lost. Changed the course of history. I can only imagine all the plans and projects that were in the works. This went up in smoke in a single day. This happens all the time. Uh, and that's life. And you, you know, we live in an entropic universe, whether you like it or not. And so I try to be fatalistic about this. Uh, I want to see disclosure, but I want to see it done when, when the United States can handle it. I'm hoping that that will develop no later than fall of this year. And so if that all comes together, we could see maybe something happening. But if Vladimir Putin takes an, uh, makes a move, I'm, well, I'm going to be quite pleased. I mean, I'll be quite happy. Uh, a lot of people won't be, but I will be fine. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll have to then disclose, or rather we're going to have to respond to it. Uh, but Vladimir will get the glory and the United States will get the, uh, the bag.
to hold. Understood. Yes. Very interesting times already here in 2018. And we are, oh yes. And we are very close to coming to an end of this uh, interview here, but I did have a few more things to go over with you. Just a few. Um, earlier, yeah, earlier I had mentioned the Conscious Life Expo. Um, uh-huh. back in 2014, you did win an award. I think it was something like a Lifetime Achievement Award. Researcher of the Year or something. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. During your presentation, yeah. you mentioned Art Bell. Mm-hmm. I believe, I believe you did. Uh, did you mention something, uh, something, uh, along the lines that he wasn't talking about politics as much? What I, what I said was, Art Bell will have a piece of this history because in the mid-90s, I showed up in 96. Uh, by 97, 98, his show was, was moving along. He had, he had switched over to that format. I forget how many years he was at it, but he switched, and it had been around for a long time. He switched right. over to this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons he switched over to it is sick of politics. He was doing other talk, and I think politics was, was probably, he didn't, he didn't like it. And let's face it, the guy's a curmudgeon. He lives on a, most of the last number of years, he's, he lives still and still does in a compound in the bonies. Yeah. Now, near, yeah, right? now all he does is talk about politics on his Facebook account. Uh, well, you know, people evolve. The point is, is right. that he didn't like it. And so he's doing this great. He's got a win, winning show and he's dealing the paranormal and it's gold. He's, he's doing well. He didn't want to deal in politics. So along comes. The, the politics of disclosure, the, along comes the political engagement of this issue, which obviously I was part of. And to his great credit, he recognized that, um, well, there's politics and there's politics. Uh, the politics of ETs, the politics of UFOs, politics of disclosure. This is, this is you know, important and, and pretty cool. Very Not important. as exotic as the other stuff. And so yeah. he, he, he was letting me come on. Uh, Greer came on. Uh, I think I actually arranged that. I'm not sure. Anyway, and so he was letting this discussion. I mean, it wasn't his favorite thing, but he was letting the politics of this subject get discussed. And so what he did was he gave a platform to me and others to talk about that to a base of about, I don't know, it would vary three, four, five, six million people. And so when you, when you can do that, you're seeding uh, a lot of people with these ideas and that's how you get the movement going. That's how you coalesce things. Um and so he 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 played a major role in letting the, the politics of the subject be legit legitimizing get out there uh to a core group that could keep it going. Uh and I think history will will remember that. Now George Norrie's kept that. George Norrie has, has has continued in that vein. I mean I've been on there many times as, and this subject has been discussed in that way. He's not adverse to politics. Uh and that's what that was all that was the point I was making. Ah, understood. Yes, some people still remember that, and they were kind of confused about what you had said. Uh, yeah, I was just basically saying he didn't like it, but he 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 let us come on and talk about that kind of politics. Sadly, though, as you know, when the show got bought out by Clear Channel, right? Uh, they the, all the early shows were uh, owned by broadcast. They were logged with Broadcast.com, that company that came up with you know internet broadcasting. And I think they then have just been, uh, they're gone. Uh, they don't they exist on the net. And I don't know if, uh, hopefully they exist somewhere, but a lot of those shows are not available anymore. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully they're, they're available ultimately to historians. Understood. 
And uh, some people from the very, very nice community of Conspiracy Outpost, they wanted to know if there would ever be a fake alien invasion. <laughs> I, I get that asked all the time. <laughs> I, I just yeah. I just wanted to tickle you there with that question. Well, false flags are a common tool of Machiavellian governments. We know that. Nasty tool, too. It's usually effective. But I can assure you that, I don't know, planting a bomb in the USS Maine down in Vanna Harbor and, you know, maybe using that to launch a Spanish-American war, that's one thing. That's pretty easy to do. Faking a ET invasion. I think they, I think they've, yeah, I think they've been reading a little too much into Project Bluebeam. Well, Project Bluebeam is just a, another one of the, I don't know, threads that just emerge in the absence of hard information due to the truth embargo. But it would be an extraordinarily difficult and complicated maneuver that would almost certainly fail and be a disaster. I agree. For government. And so, uh, they, well, again, uh, false flags are getting harder and harder because, uh, the internet has, has made everybody an investigator. There are sophisticated software tools and imaging tools and everything else in the hands of teenagers are crying out loud. And, uh, if something happens, if it's a big enough event, you can have a billion people focused on it around the world on their little little computers, like the one I got in my hand right now. Right. Uh, that's that's an awful lot of scrutiny to try to pull off a stunt of that magnitude. So I don't think they will. Uh, yeah, they could they could they've got they've got their own anti-gravitic craft. They could fly them over some cities, blow a few things up, and say the the aliens are invading. Uh, and then what? They're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep blowing. Yeah. And then right. You know, and then you've got the potential for people inside whistleblowing this whole thing. I mean, it's just – the fact is, this is kind of fundamental. The presence of extraterrestrials, the reality of multiple civilizations and the galaxies is an, is the ultimate is, – is the most profound, I think, reality in, in human history. It transcends everything. It transcends politics and religion. It transcends economics. It, it's bigger than any billionaire. It's bigger than any cabal. It's bigger than the Illuminati. It's bigger than everything. And it's they're just over their head with this. Not to mention the fact that they have no control over the ETs, right? So it's like, you know, if you want to pull a false flag, uh, you know, you probably don't want to make the center of your maneuver beings that can travel between stars. Right. Uh, uh, and who can go and come as they please. I, you know, unless they can get them on board with it. You know, like, you know, you guys are really nice, but we really want to make you evil. Are you okay with that? Okay, here's what we're going to do. Back us up. I don't think so. so I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. However, uh, I, I certainly encourage uh, vigilance, uh, on anything the government does here. I encourage vigilance on what Tom DeLong is doing. I don't, I don't like, you know, ill thought, uh, theoretical attacks, uh, simply for the hell of it. Uh, right. because people enjoy it. I don't like that. And I don't think it's constructive, but skepticism, of course, they should look at it all carefully. But unless, until they, they get clear indications that something is wrong, then I think the first base level's response should be encouragement, support, uh, and uh, a lot of attaboys. Mostly guys. There's one woman on the team, but everybody else is men. So there's still a male-dominant enterprise, but that's not surprising. It's coming out of the military intelligence complex, yeah. which is male-dominated. That's expected. For a very long time. Yeah, that's, that's a given. But believe me, there are plenty of women ready to sign up, um, and they will have their say in time. So, uh, again, I'm a big supporter. I'm going to write it up. I'm going to uh, 
I say, you know, if they're interested in my help, which I don't think they are, that's fine. But what they're doing is making what I'm doing easier and opening up some doors. So, again, it's been a very – 17 was a kind of a – it, it was a bumpy ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 17 was not a fun year. I mean, by our standards. Right. Okay. I mean, again, I, I don't even – I don't even get into – what people in the Middle East go through on a daily oh, basis. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, we're, we're pretty soft here. I mean, we, we, you know, we haven't had any of our cities bombed in quite some time. So, uh, but for those of us that have optimistic intentions and dreams and aspirations about a better world, 17 was pretty much icky. Um, yes. 18, I think can be, can be much better, but the foolishness is not over yet. Uh, the dysfunctions in our government, particularly in our political processes, have been building up for 50 years. Ignorance is and bliss. So, yeah. And, and, and the people are less, uh, I think they're, they're more, I don't know if they're less informed. They are certainly more misinformed than I can recall. Oh, yes. Uh, and, and that's, that's awkward. It, and, uh, we're dealing with something that's brand new in our world, 20 some years of internet. We don't know what to do with it yet. So a lot of confusion, which, which would just be kind of interesting if it wasn't for those nukes. I mean, you take the nukes away and this is just all fun and experimenting, learning to, you know, to adapt to new things and moving on with life. But with the nukes in play, suddenly, uh, you just can't have, it can't be fun and games anymore. It can't be, okay, it'll all work out in, in time. No, it may not work out. Some fool's going to launch a nuclear war. We almost had one five or six times. Right. Well, I think most people sort of know that now, that the fact that they're even here at all is kind of lucky, right? Uh, they should be dead. Yeah. But they aren't. But the nukes are still there. And so we're, we're not, we're still, we're still dancing on the edge of the volcano, assuming that we haven't fallen in, therefore we won't fall in. Uh, big mistake. Meanwhile, the whole world is being prevented from knowing that, my God, there's, there's civilizations throughout the galaxy. So this needs to be sort of resolved, and my job is to resolve it. I'm not getting any younger, so I'd like to see it happen soon. Right. You know what I mean? Um, however, uh, it'll happen when it happens. Okay, two more uh, questions here. Back mm-hmm. in uh, 97, everyone witnessed the Phoenix Lights incident. Was that one mm-hmm. of ours, or was that something else? Don't know. Um, Lynn Katai has done more than anybody else on the planet to keep that event uh, alive and in the public's mind. Every year she has a showing on the anniversary in Phoenix. I think it's always packed out every year in the theater. Um, it was so big. Again, the initial event earlier in the evening was so big, I question whether it was a human craft. Uh, but, but there's no way to know for sure. Right. Uh, the lights that were seen later, it's more complex, but doesn't matter. Well, the early event was more than enough to make it one of the most important events in, of that subject ever. It was a very interesting um, time. Uh, yeah. And now it's 20 years later and we haven't resolved that. You know, there was no investigation of really of the investigation of the O'Hare event. Uh, you know, the good people of Roswell and the people and their, the ancestors of the people that were there in 47 are still being demeaned. Yep. Uh, and called, you know, fools or dupes or useful idiots, whatever the hell. Um, all of this is kind of unseemly. Uh, I think unseemly is the, is the word of the day. Uh, I think you could apply it to just about everything going on. Pick anywhere, but certainly the U.S. border, you know, coast to coast. 
and unseemly should be in giant neon letters in the sky over Washington, D.C. I mean, just for everybody to see. So it's the age, it's the unseemly age. Um, and some people don't care. Uh, it will move on. But uh, unfortunately, there's the nukes. I mean, so it's just we just don't have the luxury of this kind of behavior, uh, not with the nukes. Get rid of the nukes. I guess you could, you know, we could party and throw wild weekends and do stupid stuff, and it wouldn't be that that awful. But with the nukes, we just can't do this. Um, so somebody has got to grow up. Uh, reform needs to take place. And that reform, as far as I'm concerned, isn't going anywhere until we end this embargo. The last big lie. I mean, there's plenty of lies. I mean, my God, government's filled with lies. <laughs> yes. But on a grand scale, you know, on a grand scale, you know, one of the great big lies of the 20th century was that the German people were the, 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 the master race. Okay. That was, that was one hell of a lie. And it resulted in a whole lot of people dying and Germany kind of being turned into a big pile of bricks. That's a pretty big lie. There have been others. This was the biggest of all. And so, History has said that big lies like that, managed and maintained by the state, it never ends well. Now, Mr. Bassett, when it's all said and done, how would you like to be remembered? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I hope my website stays up for a while after I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I am, I am a, a political activist without portfolio who started late in life. And, you know, uh, may or may not have a role in this. Uh, that's a lot these days. We'll see. Uh, but history decides who gets remembered and who doesn't. And I try not to think about it too much, but I, I know this and I'm, and I'm happy for this. Never in history has a, a, a citizen and pick one, any citizen had a, a more ability, more opportunity. Even if you're, you know, minus resources of any, any significant resources to impact government, to impact, uh, society. And this is primarily an internet thing. Um, the internet has made it possible for anybody, if they want to, to get involved, even right. at a high level, even without the connections, even without money. Um, and so were it not for that, I assure you, I wouldn't be doing any of this. Um, so in that sense, very lucky. And the internet lives on. So you, you can do something and, you know, over the centuries, you know, countless numbers of citizens have, 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 have tried to change policies and improve society and, and it totally gone. Not a trace of it. They don't exist. Um, now you, you can, you can do things and the record of it will last a long time. Thanks to the, the good old internet and, and. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> The, the ever-increasing exponential, uh, not only decrease in price, an exponential increase in storage capacities, right? Yeah. And so, uh, uh, your presence kind of lives on beyond you, and that's kind of cool. Uh, it is motivating. It means, you know, do your thing, get it right, because it actually can make a difference, and, and, uh, it will be remembered, and people can work with it down the line. Um, that's a, that's an incredible gift. One of the reasons why I, I don't try to, I haven't gotten too cynical about Facebook or a lot of the other crap that's going on in the net. In the, in the end, it's still the most profound invention in human history. And so I'm about to launch my new website, which is going to replace the old one, which should have been replaced 12 years ago. But I'm pretty lazy, frankly. <laughs> uh, it's got all the bells and whistles and 
social media and everything else and search engine optimization. And, uh, I'm, I'm building it myself at great human cost. And, uh, so I hope people like it. It'll launch on the 1st of February or the 31st of January. And it's going to be a much more powerful vehicle, much more, it's going to get a lot more attention, a lot more hits, a lot more traffic. It's going to have a full blog. And so there, there's my legacy right there. Well, I personally, <laughs> yes, I, I, I personally think you have left a significant mark in the UFO community and beyond. And um, I, I thank you for your research. I'm not a researcher. I'm a political activist. I let others do the research. That's the heavy lifting. I don't like the heavy lift, but, uh, uh, well, I mean, in term, you kind of are a little bit of a researcher, just a little bit. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, well, you know, you got to go on the net and look at stuff. But uh, I, I talk about Roswell all the time. I didn't research Roswell. I know the people that did. It's tough work, by the way. But um, uh, the to be to be though frank, without disclosure, I have failed. I mean, there, there are some benefits that come from any activist movement. This, the, the anti-war movement of the 60s was intense and, and world, and well, it's worldwide, but certainly US-wide. And I, I doubt that they, you know, they shortened the war one day, frankly. Uh, but the process did educate people, uh, engage people. I think it had some positive impacts, but it didn't shorten the war. It would be kind of like the civil rights movement. Never getting the Civil Rights Act. You know? Yeah. And Martin Luther King was fortunate enough that he saw the Civil Rights Act before he died. If he hadn't, I'm sure he would have died feeling I had failed. Same thing with disclosure. I, 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 this is about disclosure. I don't get disclosure. It's going to be hard for me to think, hey, you, you failed, Stevie boy. You didn't, you didn't do it. Uh, but, you know, there are worse things to fail at than, than activism of, of, at this level. So I'm going to try to, I'll be optimistic. We're going to see disclosure. We're going to see it this year. Your show is going to get many more viewers and, uh, the internet's going to be huge. Um, and it's going to be great. You know, it's really, I know I'm, I'm starting to almost feel optimistic. I'm optimistic and you should feel that way too. This is a huge leap forward. Yeah. And, and again, I've got to give Tom credit for this. Tom DeLong. Uh, I probably should get his music and listen to it, but. Uh, and I, I wish I had played the guitar more when I was younger. I didn't practice. I, I was lazy. I didn't do that. I wish I had practiced more. And I, and I never went to the electric. I just practiced on the. It's know. actually really easy. I know. Yeah, then again, I've been. The damn acoustic. Yeah, then again, I've been playing for over ten years. So. Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Michael. Well, just let me know when your first album's coming out, dude. Oh, I, I already had one of those. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, but you <laughs> know, on a, in a very smaller scale, however. I understand, but it's a legacy nevertheless. That's true. It lives on. It lives on in audio format, just like you will too, Mr. Bassett. (laughs) Audio never dies. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Audio never dies. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, years ago, I used to say that, uh, you know, Andy Warhol was famous for everyone will be, um, everyone will be, uh, famous for 15 minutes in the future. And I sort of played off of that and, and, and started saying that uh, because of what was going on in the U.S., everyone would go to jail for 15 minutes in the future. Uh, now I, I'm also talking about that in the future, everyone will have have their own Internet radio show for 15 minutes. <laughs> yes. Right. right. <laughs> if they don't already. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> everyone and their mothers has a podcast. <laughs> so 
that's cool. The democratization of engagement uh, is underway. It's messy. It's weird. There's a lot of cat videos involved. Oh, boy. <laughs> but but the fact is, it is really cool. Now, we've got to be careful about the AI thing. If we, if we don't manage the AI thing, we're all going to be basically human slaves to, uh, you know, uh, robots, and that's that's not good. Oh, so man. I'm worried about that one. But uh, the Internet hasn't gone AI yet, and so uh, it's still it, – it, 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 is, it is a problem in that you give up pretty much all you know, relationships of any normal type. Uh, you, you don't exercise anymore. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. You become glued to a computer screen. I mean, other than that. You become a it, cardiomyopathy victim. Exactly. Right. But eventually we will – we will uh, we'll we'll manage that. We'll we'll find a balance. Uh, for instance, uh, you gonna you, you got they're selling now computer uh, 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 desks or rather working desks where you've got your computer and everything and it's on a treadmill and so you're on a treadmill doing your work, computer and everything else, uh, burning calories and getting exercise. I, I predict those are going to become huge. I would I would buy some stock in the computer treadmill desk business invest because you're going to be seeing a lot of that um so what we will adapt we will figure it out um and that's fine but again i you know if it wasn't for the computer i assure you i would be in an old age home right now drooling you know on a napkin <laughs> over some overcooked oh my yes utterly useless because i was you know there was just not much happening in my life and then the computer came along and i go okay this is cool um, so, uh, here we are. I'm a political activist dependent on a computer. You've got a podcast show. Hey, welcome to the 21st century. Oh, yes. It's usually a live show. I, I always did. Yeah. I always say a podcast is when you're talking to a wall, essentially, with no live audience. Yeah. yeah. But then, yeah, of course, but then, of course, everything gets uh, replayed later than it turns into a podcast. Yeah, it's all about archiving, my friend. Archiving, oh, yes. archive. As long as people hear it, that's all I care about. There were some awfully great uh, radio shows that were done a long time ago that will never be heard again. They're gone into oblivion, whereas your stuff could live on for a thousand years. So there. Beautiful stuff. And Mr. Bassett, <laughs> where where can people find uh, find I guess your contact information or or, or your website, right? Well, no, the website, you know, I have, the current website is still up. It's paradigmresearchgroup.org, and you can contribute there. Got something in the both left and right corners. Uh, and then you can subscribe to the mail list there. Contact information is on that site somewhere. You can find that. Um, but the new site will go up in about 10 days. But you can still get you know, the site still up. But the new one is going to be super cool. Uh, so nice. the contact information will be on there. But it's all about paradigmresearchgroup.org. And uh, I'm looking forward to bigger traffic uh, the rest of this year, counting on people to to show up at my new, my new digs. Oh, I think they will. I hope so. So, Mr. Bassett, I do want to thank you very much for being a part of the program. And, of course, if I see you out there at and in Los Angeles for the conference, I'll definitely stop by and say hi to you. Oh, of course, Michael. Absolutely. And have a little chat. And so we will proceed toward the end of days together in in camaraderie and, and, and good feeling. Yes, sir. Uh, but, you know, everything does have to end. Empires rise and empires fall.
And then the rebuilding. Just just not right away. Let's hope not. All right, my friend. All right, my friend. Yes, sir. Take care, and um, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, I'm sure you will. All right, Mr. Bassett, Godspeed. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was my guest, Stephen Bassett. Amazing guest. It's been a long time. I've tried to get him on here, and finally it's come to fruition. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And welcome back to the program, often imitated, never duplicated. Always so nice to see so many of you still locked in here. Thanks for being with me here tonight. It's been a fun time so far. If you just missed the interview with Mr. Stephen Bassett, my goodness, you missed a very, very interesting interview. I want to thank Mr. Bassett for being a part of the program. I learned a couple of things today. I hope you did too. Hopefully we can bring back Mr. Bassett at a later time. Very good interview there. Had fun. Now, I had so many things to go over with you guys. However, I do feel I should save some of that for the next program. Oh, believe me. For those wondering, the next program will be on the 23rd, just a few days away from now. Kevin Estrella will be here live and direct. And, of course, on Saturday, David Sarita returns. It should be fun. I do apologize for taking so much time away from the program. I really did miss it, and I missed all of you out there tremendously. If you're listening to this right now on a replay, keep in mind, you can listen live every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, live on the TuneIn radio app. If you enjoy this program and want to help fund this project, go to michaeldeacon.com. This program completely depends on its listeners. That means you right there. Yes, you sitting there listening to this, share this with your friends and family. It's always good to spread the word. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Well, that was something I was going to ask you about, Michael. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask, well, I was going to ask. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Our appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should have worked with the 